Welcome to the Become New Podcast with John Ortberg. My name is Tim Williams. I work with John behind the scenes, and I'll be your host for this series, Finding God in Your World. Today, John sits down with Ian Simpkins. Ian is the lead pastor of teaching at the Bridge Church just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. He's the author of two books, Experiential Landscape, and Approach to People, Place, and Space, as well as Making Sense of Life and Leadership. He has started two organizations, one called Beauty in the Common and the other called The Common Year. John and Ian talk about finding God in interruptions, dealing with imposter syndrome, the finite resource of attention, seeing the mundane as a vessel for the divine, and other topics. If you're new to the podcast, we have a website you'll want to check out, becomenew.com, where you can find more resources, including the option to subscribe to our email or sign up for the text reminders when we drop a new episode. Now, here's John and Ian. We are uh, in the Advent season, and we're thinking about how do we find God in the world? Here's the deal. Today, you're going to do life. You can do it with God. You can do it without God. It's better to do it with them. And that was the whole reason behind Jesus coming. And today I get to introduce you to Ian Simpkins. Ian, thank you so much for coming on. This is an odd question to start with. We're actually just kind of in the process of getting to know each other. But uh, for anybody who's watching and doesn't know the technical pieces of this, often when you log in on the particular vehicle that we're using <laughs> to record this, you have to give a name. And Ian's name, as I'm reading it, is Admirable, Admiral Soggy Bottoms. So you got to tell me where Admiral Soggy Bottoms comes from. Thanks for uh, well outing me in front of everybody. I really appreciate that. That is uh, uh, it's, my it's actually it's one of the highlights of this event. You know where it actually comes from? The very first church I pastored, we would pass uh, attendance books in the yes. services, so people yeah. would kind of sign in. And to uh, to give like our office staff like a little chuckle, or at least what I was hoping would give them a chuckle, I would write in fake names every Sunday. I would sit yeah. in different parts of the auditorium and just and Admiral Soggy Bottoms was like always <laughs> it was always their favorite. So I used the first time I used this platform like two years ago. I logged in as a joke and I can't figure out how to change it. So now every interview is Admiral <laughs> Soggy Bottoms. <laughs> well. Uh... I have a five-year-old grandson, and he will love that name. So uh, I think there's a new nickname now on the horizon, thanks to you. So thank you very much. I, I, there's a My spirit pleasure. of joy in that that I love. <laughs> well, so, I got yeah. a six, a four, and a one-year-old, so I'm right there with you. Yep, yep. Well, you're just one generation behind. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to hear a little bit about your own spiritual journey. I know that you are working as a pastor uh, you have lots and lots of creative aspects to what it is that you do, but I, I'd love to hear a little bit about your own kind of spiritual journey. And as we think about how do we find God, how do you find God in your world? Um, how did you find him in your own life? And world? Yeah, gosh, that's such a good, complicated question for me. You know, I, uh, I grew up the oldest of seven kids outside of Detroit, Michigan. Yeah. And I went to church because my dad was big and scary and said, you have to. It wasn't a particular joy or hatred of it. I just sort of went and had kind of discovered music somewhere in there. And that had kind of become like my community. And and one Sunday, our, our pastor came up to me and said, uh, hey, I'd like you to preach next month. And I was like, oh, oh no, thank you. 
And he, he said, Oh, I wasn't asking. I was telling. Wow. And, and I didn't even know how to do that. So I, I prepared a message that would later become very prophetic for me on Moses, the reluctant leader. And wow. it was a train wreck, John. It was, it was awful. <laughs> I, I walked off the stage totally dejected. And this sweet old woman came up to me afterwards and she, she said two things actually. She, she pointed to the stage and she said, that was bad. And I said, thank you. I'm aware. And then she said, uh, but I, I believe the Lord has given you a voice, so you better learn how to actually use it. And wow. that was sort of a trajectory shifting thing for me. And so I, I ran from that for a few more years and ended up moving to Chicago to study student ministry because I figured if I'm going to do the, the whole church thing, I should at least go where the Mountain Dew and lock-ins are. Like that seemed mm-hmm. to be the most fun. And, and I had some internship experiences that weren't so great and told my parents, I don't think I can do this church thing. And then that next day I got a job offer and I spent a summer, a summer in India and that became a really formative season for me. And when I came back from India, I I started at this church. And then a year later, uh, the, the pastor that hired me was removed in in a really kind of heartbreaking way. And it was a really rough season and hired an interim guy and everything kind of spiraled and, and the elders discovered that we had six months to bankruptcy. And so they, they called me in. And they essentially said, do you want to take a crack at it? And I was like, not particularly. No, that's, right. that, that's, that seems uh, like a kamikaze mission. And they said, well, not unless you, you can do it under the pseudonym of Admiral Soggy Bottoms. <laughs> yeah, that's where I should have implemented it. That would have yeah. made more sense. <laughs> yeah. But by the grace of God, I asked for a week to kind of pray and fast about it. And I don't, I don't know how else to talk about it other than the Lord just did a, a, a 180 in my heart. And that's how I, I kind of accidentally became a lead pastor in my 20s when I was more than unqualified. That's amazing. And talk a little bit. I know the word common has been mm. an important word for you and the notion of the common year. And so mm. uh, part of the idea of Advent season and Jesus is uh, that he came into the world in a very common way. He, he, yeah. he came in a very ordinary way. Dallas Willard used to say that a, a sacrament is something common, something ordinary that becomes the vehicle of something extraordinary, uncommon. Yeah. So I'd love to hear you unpack that a little bit as people are thinking about their own very common life and common day. Yeah. As I, just started doing life with people and ministering with people like in the mess of their actual existence. I realized that, that we'd created this kind of dichotomous relationship in the church world where there's all this attention and money kind of given to the big and the grandiose. And our people were kind of articulating that's, I don't live in the big and the grandiose. There are mountaintop moments, but most of my life is lived in the ordinary. And does God have anything to say or show me? in in the in the mundane the the common that's like right under our noses and i remember thinking about learning about the the transcendentals of you know truth goodness and beauty and how mm-hmm. in the in the west we had seemed to really latch on to the first two but b- beauty had sort of become a, an afterthought and the more that i sat with that i was like man where truth and goodness try to convince beauty seeks to invite like there's an invitation to how do we pay attention you know dallas Willard says the the the, the first duty of love is to give attention, right? Mm-hmm. It is the, it is the Lord, open my eyes to what you're mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. right here and now. And I didn't realize how trajectory shifting that conversation would be for me. And how do we, how do we help people not just navigate the massive highs and lows? Cause we'll hit those too, 
but the the middle space that most of us occupy that now since becoming a father you know i'm realizing my boys live with a certain sense of wonder and awe for stuff that i would otherwise mostly just overlook and like getting to see the world through their perspective has been massively life-changing for me in a way that i don't think i could have predicted wow and uh is that something it's interesting going through this season beauty seems to be a theme that keeps recurring hmm. and i wonder if that's a quest that more and more for younger people young adults um is a prominent one there's a a quote from Dostoevsky that I love, although I never quite fully know what it means. The world will be saved <laughs> by beauty. Yeah. Yes. Um, what is it that made you aware of your hunger for beauty? How do you look for it? How do you connect the dots between beauty and God? Hmm. There's a uh, uh, Victorian era poet named Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And she said something like, uh, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only those who see take off their shoes. Mm. And that kind of became a, a prayer for me. Like, okay, if, if, if the kingdom of God is, is both here and not yet, if part of the prayer isn't just to sort of hunker down for 90 years and then disembodied evacuation when I stop breathing here in planet Earth, <laughs> but to see the kingdom of God here and now, yeah. what does it mean to actually see with a, a a kingdom lens. And for me, sometimes even how we talk about beauty, right? There's a lot of gatekeepers to beauty and how we determine what is beautiful and what isn't. And I'm realizing that a lot of those gatekeepers have a very narrow definition of what actually is beautiful. For me, a lot of times, at least in my life right now, it's my six-year-old watching a trail of ants walk on our patio for a full half hour. And I have no idea why. There's like beauty in that. Like I realized how quickly I was moving on from a sunset or even just, I got a great email today that I, it made me want to cry. And my instinct to like save it and move on. Cause I got church work to do was, yes. it was so, it was so alarming how quickly my instinct was to just move on from it rather than to like, even just for a beat say, Lord, you didn't owe me any of that moment. And that person didn't have to write me an email. And you didn't have to make steak takes delicious. And you didn't have to give us 70 degree weather in November. Like, I'm just, in, I'm realizing how much my pace has to, uh, has to do with my inability to see beauty, to notice things in the common. I think of the book, Three Mile an Hour God. You know, the whole yeah. premise is if, if love has a speed, it's probably the walking speed of Jesus. And is it possible? that we're going at a pace much faster than that and that we miss out on much of the activity of God simply because we're either going too fast or we're way too distracted. And I've been really convicted by, by both those things in this season. I was thinking when you were talking, you know, uh, 150 years ago, songs were written like Silent Night, Holy Night. Yeah. And now it's like Grandma got run over by a reindeer. You know, it's <laughs> a uh, uh, there are just pace of life issues that we face and everybody listening yes. to us right now, there'll be that thought. I live in a real world. Um, I live in a world where change happens a ton, where technology has impacted mm -hmm. things, where often folks that run companies will say, if we're not able to adjust really quickly to conditions around us, we will be irrelevant. And all those mm. things are true. Um, right. And yet, uh, that living with a hurried spirit makes it really hard to see the ants and to see our kids from a practical standpoint in 
um, what do you find yourself doing or how do you help people that are working with you, talking with you um, <laughs> to actually slow down? And sorry, I don't mean to smile. I just keep wanting to call you Admiral Soggy Bottom. So. <laughs> I hope that that part makes it without the introduction as to why, that you just really badly want to call me Admiral Soggy Bottoms. Uh-huh, that yeah. would be a dream come true. I There are a couple of things. You know, we talk a lot at our church about the interruptibility of Jesus. Oh, you know, like more than 50% of his miracles were interruptions. He had an agenda. He had a plan. He was going somewhere else and he was interrupted. And one of the things I'll try to keep before our staff, obviously there are objectives and there are things we need to actually do and we need to be good stewards of our time. But so often we err so far on that extreme that we're not interruptible, that no one or nothing could possibly interject into my airtight schedule for the day. And I had a, a mentor years ago, he asked me this question and my, my life has been marked by like really faithful men and women who have had the courage to tell me the hard truth about myself. Mm-hmm. And he said, Ian, does your pace of life look like that of someone that actually wants to hear from God? And that, ooh, ooh. that, say that, that question, so rattled say that question me. one more time. He says, does your pace of life look like that of someone who actually wants to hear from God? Mm-hmm. And I knew the answer to that. Like, he didn't have to tell me. It was, you know, he, he, he always had these pithy truisms. He's like, the problem is a lot of people have space for God in their heart, but not their calendar. Like, oh, it it's becomes this, this disconnect. And I think for me, I've had to build in, like, little habits. Like, one simple thing. Uh, my boys are little still. So when I pull in the driveway at home, I turn my phone all the way off until they're asleep. Mm. That's not that big of a commitment. It's, it's, it's about an hour and a half. But... My my boys, my six-year-old in particular, there's been a couple of times where I've answered him while also being on my phone, and he hasn't learned social cues yet. So he climbed up on the counter, and he grabbed my face and said, Papa, listen. And I was so grateful for that, you know, because I don't want my boys to be hearing the sound of my voice without seeing the whites of my eyes, you know? So now I just, I turn it on. It's the, it's how can I be, pre- I think presence is the medium of love. Oh, and if man. the, if the aim for us is not just to be loving, but to become a people of love that will require presence and slowing down and, and being honest about, you know, this is a formation device. It's not just technology. If it's the first thing we reach for and the last thing we look at, mm. it's, it's forming, it's doing something to us. Yes. And I'm not anti-social media and anti-technology, but I, I think we have to be honest about the kinds of people that it is developing us into. Wow. And um, as you have sought to do that, uh, you know, with your family, with people that you love, trying to do it with God. Mm. Where do you find it hard? Where where does it make you anxious? Um, yeah. Where is it that when you say, okay, I'm going to turn this off, um, there'll be something inside your body, an adrenaline flow, a habit, a reflex. Uh-huh. What, what, oh, yeah. what fights against that in your own spirit? Because I, I know tons of people who are listening to this right now are going to mm. be feeling that sense inside their bodies. Hmm. Yeah, I think I have only very recently realized that I have had crippling imposter syndrome for most of my life. And the undercurrent of that is I've bought into the lie that I'm only as valuable as what I can produce Mm. or what I can accomplish. And if my phone is off, that means I'm either not accomplishing or I'm not in the know. And to take those two things from me at my weakest, at my most unhealthy that exactly to your point, that creates a real anxiety. What do I not know because that's off or what am I not accomplishing? How am I not making an impact 
because I'm looking at a trail of ants right now. This is again to circle back. This is why I love beauty so much because beauty is really, really at its core. It's not meant to be commodified. You know what I mean? Like it's not, oh, how can I turn this into a profit or how can I, a sunset is a sunset. Mm -hmm. And you should maybe look at a sunset and say, was that my idea? It wasn't. And I'm so grateful that it wasn't. Wow. And that's a gift to us. But when we move right into the next thing or the next email, the next accomplishment, yeah, that's, and it's again, I think it's like a muscle. I think like anything, the first couple of days was really hard. Wow. And I still had those phantom, those phantom vibrations where you'd like reach for the phone. Restless legs. But over syndrome. the course of all of that, all of that. And my boys would kind of look at me like, like grab my hip. Is he like, is he, is he okay? Is something wrong with dad? But over time, it just becomes a part of the, it's like a, it's like a liturgy of home. It's like, how do I, how do I want to be as a father in this space? I know that it isn't distracted and it isn't hurried and it isn't my mind and heart and will is somewhere else other than right now having pizza with my boys and watching a cartoon. You know what I mean? Like that. I had to get really honest about those questions. And, uh, and the formation question for me was, man, if I don't do this, I know that I'm, we become what we behold, right? Yeah. We reflect what we revere. And I was reflecting and beholding some stuff that was not pointed in the direction that I knew I needed to head. It's funny. I don't know that I've ever made this connection, but thinking about the Advent season and Jesus' birth, it's kind of striking that his ministry is not going to start for another 30 years, mm. but he's not in a hurry about that. And he shows right. up as an actual baby. And um, then he grows up one year at a time. Um, his father, Joseph, so far as we know, dies somewhere before he begins his ministry. So he never actually gets mm -hmm. to see it. And most right. of Mary's life is just simply raising him and the rest of the family. And it's like he's mm -hmm. teaching us to accept the, the limitations of time and finitude and to find God and goodness there in his mm -hmm. own existence and ministry and incarnation. It's almost like that's the first message of Advent. And uh, I'd never thought about that till you were talking about that connection. Hmm. I, I think of uh, Alyssa Britt Cole wrote a book on Jesus's obscurity. Mm -hmm. And she says in much more poetic language, she says, when we say that we want to become Christ-like, most of us aren't referring to his obscurity. Mm -hmm. Like we say, oh, make me more Christ-like. And we think the end product, the glory, the recognition, but we're not usually talking about either his obscurity or his suffering. Yeah. And yet we know that both of those are very present in the life and ministry of Jesus. Yeah. And I think, I think you're spot on. 30 years of seemingly no progress would be far longer than most of us are willing to tolerate. <laughs> that's, yeah. Right? Hard to hold on to your job if that's, if that's what the results look like. <laughs> Just give me a couple more decades. I promise I'll hit the markers that you're asking for. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's come back to that idea of interruptibility for a moment. Hmm. Um, it's kind of striking, not only in Jesus's life, as you talk about that, but um, think about in his teaching, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, mm. that really, in some ways, the first two characters there, the priest and the Levite who are on their way to the temple, uh, it's not necessarily that they had such bad hearts and it may even be what they thought of was I'm devoted to God and towards doing good. Um, but the difference between them and the Samaritan was they were just not interruptible and the mm. Samaritan was interruptible. And how often in my own life, if I see somebody who needs help, 
the biggest issue is if I'm in a hurry, then I feel like I just don't have that option. I'm not able to do it. And ironically, when I think that I am busy serving God or doing something that's really important, that may actually be the primary factor that makes me not interruptible. And then I'm not Hmm. able to find God laying on the side of the road. Yeah, that's, I mean, you're pushing on a nerve for me because I've been in vocational ministry for almost two decades now. And I've had to realize how often I justify my workaholism Mm -hmm. because I'm doing it for God, you know? And I, I realized something pretty dark. It's like alcoholics get treatment, but workaholics get applause. Mm. There, are, there are a lot of cheerleaders on the road to burn the candle at both ends, always be accessible, always be achieving, even for the, for the kingdom, right? And yeah. I think I, it kind of hit me square between the eyes, like what you cannot rest from, you are a slave to. Mm. And, and I think for me, that, that was a really difficult season because it was having to actively say no to things that were getting me a lot of accolades that were feeding my ego. And I was like, well, they're kind of cheering me on here. The more things I say yes to, and the more stuff I sign up for, and the more, uh, the more yeses that I give. And that was, that was really, really difficult for me. I think to be willing to say uh, that ultimately is not what satisfies or delivers. And it's leading my heart into a place that I don't, I don't think that's the kind of person that I want to become. And that was, I mean, I wish I could tell you that was always up and to the right. Like, oh, I've just gotten more present and better at pacing and better at recognizing beauty. But it, it kind of ebbs and flows. Like, I, you know, I'm a drummer. For me, it's it's less about balance and more about rhythm. Oh. And there are going to be seasons where, yeah, I, I'm working maybe a few hours that I normally would, but I need to, uh, I need to now ba- balance that. My wife is so good at things like quality time mm-hmm. and how do we guard that mm-hmm. and how do we how are we intentional with our boys and with our family. And I'm so grateful for her to kind of offer me a much bigger eternal perspective than I often have when I'm sort of like nose close to the canvas, like, Oh, I have to get this done and I have to crush it. And it has to be great. You know, there's a, uh, 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 study that's been going on for a long time. That's looking at flourishing in life. And it's mm. talking about flourishing for people that do ministry, the kind of thing that you and I do, but this would relate to everybody who's watching or listening right now. When they look at what makes life sustainable, it's very interesting. It's not, uh, any of the practices that we think of as particularly spiritual. Um, but it is quite related, I think, to beauty. It's, um, if you have actually a hobby, but they don't call it a hobby because hobby doesn't sound important enough. So they call it a niche activity. <laughs> um, something that you engage in that captivates you deeply enough that you lose track of time. Um, and I think that losing track of time is very much connected to, um, hurry and inner state of hurry. And so when I get caught up in something that's beyond myself, that's bigger than myself, where there's a sense of transcendence where, um, God is involved, then that's one of the indicators of it. And I think that's why we love beauty so much is that, um, beauty tends to have that impact on us, but people that live a sustainable way of life, um, spend at least a half an hour every week engaged in some activity that's so captivating to them that hmm. they lose track of time. Would that be music for you? What is it, what is it that you find in your own life uh, when hmm. you engage in it? Um, you find beauty there. You discover goodness there. 
and it causes yeah. you to lose track of time. I think that would certainly be one of the areas, you know, I don't typically love doing things I'm terrible at mm -hmm. and yet music is one of those things for me. I love writing, but I'm embarrassed to admit, I never learned how to type properly. So I still hunt and peck like a child. Oh, like great. there's these things that I, yeah. I love doing it, but I know that I'm really deficient in it. And I have to kind of, you know, I have to reconcile some of that too. But I, I think since having kids too, that world has, has honestly expanded a little bit for me. Like I, I now find myself being captivated by what captivates them. And I think allowing myself to be, I read a, a Jesuit priest decades ago, and he, he was quoting a neuroscientist who said, when it comes to beauty, our minds are like Teflon, but when it comes to negativity, our brains are like Velcro. Oh God. So it, it, it adheres to negativity instinctually and immediately but with beauty, it kind of just slides right off unless you make an intentional effort to say, I'm going to appreciate this meal. I'm going to appreciate this sunset. I don't get to see this friend very often. I'm going to savor. Like most of us simply count our blessings. Like what if we started to savor them in a way that was, was really intentional? Lord, help me to be more mindful of even like the small lowercase g gratitudes throughout my day. And those tiny disciplines, it's back to the common. Like it, it isn't like, oh, I discovered I had a million dollars in the bank. I didn't know it was there. <laughs> Hooray. It's more like, oh, this has always been here. Yeah. And I just, I wasn't paying. It's, it's Jacob, right? Surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. Lord, make me more aware. I, the thing that I think has been haunting for me, but also kind of a blessing is that we're always in God's presence. His presence is never what's lacking. What's often lacking is my awareness of it. Mm. And that has been such a seismic shift for me. It's not like, oh, he's off somewhere else. Like, Lord, if you could inhabit my office right now or this meal with my family, it's like, no, Lord, I, I need lenses to see how you're at work, even in this, this seemingly common moments at a table, in a meeting, at a meal, writing emails. It's Brother Lawrence's learning to live in two places at once, right? Hmm. I'm washing dishes and I'm in the presence of God. I'm pulling weeds and I'm in the presence of God. I'm having coffee with a friend and in the presence of God. And kind of living in those two places at once has been such a shift for me. So uh, one more question, and that's beautiful. And I, I don't know that I'd thought of that or seen that phrase before, um, to be living in two places at once, that right now hmm. I'm sitting here, in this bedroom with this little setup and have a conversation with Admiral Soggy Bottom uh, <laughs> and um, living in the kingdom and that there can be joy mm. and that there can be beauty. Uh, and my job is to try to see it um, and mm. to move slowly enough that I can be interrupted by it. So, Ian, among other things, you're a pastor um, you're talking right now to folks who are in the middle of the season where there are a thousand things to do and family get togethers with all the ups and downs of the unhealthy people that are in our families mm. and all of the tasks to do with jobs and parties and gifts. Um, you have to do this with folks to encourage them in some way. Uh, hmm. Keep in mind either a practice or a story or an image or a picture or a metaphor to find Jesus in the common, um, what mm. would you want folks to know? How, how can you help all of us in the midst of our day-to-day -day, um, find God there? You know, there's this, uh, this phrase from the first century that emerged that I have been so captivated by for probably the last eight or nine years now. And the phrase is something like, every table is an altar. 
Mm. And the notion that, and we know this, and we preach sermons like this, that God doesn't live at an address and he's not beholden to some day of the week, right? You know, spirit and in truth. And yet for me, seeing the table as this opportunity, this place for worship, for presence, for intimacy, for mission, like I want to begin praying, not just on earth as it is in heaven, but saying, Lord, at, at this table as it is in heaven, mm. this confrontation that actually might be tense over the holidays, this thing that I've, I feel like I need to articulate, but I'm not sure how to, how to say it, or people who will only get to see their parents once or twice a year this year, or the moment that we're trying to speed past to get to the real event, right? Like we got to hurry up and eat our oatmeal because we got to go to uncle Jerry's and we, you know, he's mad if we're late or like every table is an altar is just this been this refrain that has helped recalibrate for me because the table is such a universal piece of furniture. Yeah. You know, everyone, everyone has one and maybe it's a dining room table. Maybe for you, it's a boardroom table or maybe it's a lunchroom table or maybe it's a poker table. I don't know. Like what would it look like? for the kingdom of God to pray at this table as it is in heaven at every table we sit at. I mean, so much of Jesus's ministry is around tables. He's either Mm -hmm. at a meal coming from a meal or going to a meal Mm -hmm. at the very least that has to be worthy of our attention. Like, okay, something profoundly sacred, something, something beautifully kingdom is happening at tables. And in the coming months, we're all going to be at a, at a bunch of them. You know, how, how can we kind of reimagine? Wow. God, I want to be like Elizabeth Barrett Brown. I want to take off my shoes and recognize like the sacred dignity of of this moment at this very ordinary piece of furniture at at this table as it is in heaven. Is that's kind of becoming my prayer in wow. this season. Ian, you have a remarkable gift for being able to remember, capture, put into a very memorable statement truth that is really mm. deeply profound. So thank wow. you thank so you. much for doing that. Um, Everybody on My this pleasure. day, um, be interruptible today and let your mind be Velcro for beauty instead mm. of Teflon. And then every table and altar, every table and altar, there he is. Ian, thank you so much. I'd love to do this again sometime. It's been great. Yeah. Count me in, John. Really honored by the invite. Thank you, brother. Thanks again for joining us. If you like this podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or by sharing with a friend. For more resources, check out becomenew.com. And if you need prayer, there's a group of us who meet each weekday, Monday through Friday, to pray for listeners like you. Send us your prayer requests at 855-888-0444. We'll catch you next time.